Good morning or good afternoon, moms and whoever is tuned into our monthly Homeschool Mom to Mom webinar through Moms for America. I'm your host or hostess, Liz Ackerman. We began our homeschooling journey with our six kiddos in 1982, which gets further back than every single year does. Oh, um, uh, we homeschooled them K through 12 and was quite an adventure. Uh, they all have decided to go on to college and they've all graduated. And even though they will tell me, well, mom, this didn't fly quite as well as it may might have, um, but they all agree that they love learning. Um, and I now have grandchildren that are taking alternative paths in their education, some homeschooling, some Montessori schooling. And so even though I'm not actively in the trenches with my own children, I get to have the privilege of speaking with and networking with educational entrepreneurs like our guest Jane Cook today all across the country. And that is such a joy. I love seeing what's going on today in the field of education, all the alternatives, uh, just it's wonderful. So let me open a different tab here and I'm going to introduce Jane Cook. She is agreed to come on and share with us her expertise. So I'm gonna read her bio. Jane Hampton Cook's passion is igniting patriotism and making American history relevant to modern life, news, current events, politics, and faith. She's an award-winning screenwriter and author of 13 books. She's working on getting several books about the Revolutionary War into the marketplace before 2026, when America will celebrate our nation's 250th birthday. How is that? She's written award-winning screenplay adaptations for two of her books, and Saving Washington placed third in ScreenCraft's 2018 drama screen, screenwriting competition, and American Phoenix was a top 10 winner in uh, ISA's Emerging Screenwriters Contest in 2020. She's a national media commentator and former White House webmaster. Jane has been a frequent guest on the Fox News Channel, Sky News, C-SPAN, BBC, WMAL, and many independent outlets. She's been a cast member and an on-camera storyteller for several documentaries, including an episode about women's voting rights for Fox Nation's What Made America Great, hosted by <clears throat> excuse me, Brian Kilmeade and The First American about George Washington, hosted by Newt and Callista Kingrick. She will appear as a cast member in the 2025 movie called The American Miracle. Jane received a bachelor's degree from Baylor University and a master's degree from Texas A&M University. She lives with her husband and their sons in Centerville, Virginia. And uh, all these wonderful links are going to be posted, uh, well, be sent to you in the follow-up email. Um, Jane has a wonderful presentation for us. And we are asking that you please put your questions in the chat and we are saving about 20 minutes for Q&A time afterwards. So if you have any questions or want to speak uh, with Jane, put those questions in the chat. So hang on, Jane, take it away and put some, tell us more about you and beyond these bare facts. We are eager to hear from you. Well, it's really great to be with you. And um, I am, I really am a lover of American history 
and patriotism. And um, so what I wanted to share with you today is creating a patriotic curriculum and what that can mean for your family, what it's meant for me, and then um, what I want it to mean in the future as we move forward. Um, and so my passion as a writer of history is patriotism. Uh, when I was in the White House, I fell in love with the history of the White House, and I realized I wanted to write more books about American history and also be a mom. And so that's what I did after I left the White House. And I have a, I homeschool my 10-year-old son, who's a special needs son, and uh, we homeschool, and it's been a great, you know, experience for him in particular. So what I want to ask, though, is why do we need a patriotic curriculum? And to do that, I want you to think about who could have said this particular quote? It's from someone who was prominent in the American Revolution. And the quote goes like this. This ardent love of one's country is most essential to the preservation of all governments. So America has a Republican government. Ardent love of country is patriotism. And does this sound like something George Washington could have said? Or Thomas Jefferson? or Abigail Adams. And the truth is they all could have said it because they believed it. They knew that patriotism would be very important to America's survival. But I was really floored when I read this quote in the personal writings of King George III. He, um, his writings were released a few years ago. They were digitized. And I read this in his handwriting and I was just stunned. And it mm -hmm. occurred to me that if America's first enemy understood that America's survival would depend on patriotism. I think enemies of America today understand the same thing. And this is the full quote. This ardent love of one's country is most essential to the preservation of all Republican governments. The inspiring, therefore, the minds of youth with this passion ought to be the principal view of education. And so the idea is you, you pass on love of country uh, to your children, and that, that is how you propagate a republic. So I think this is a really important concept to think about. And we have seen, you know, patriotism in the past few years has been under attack. Love of country has been under attack. We've seen our national anthem, our Pledge of Allegiance, historic flags of the United States be attacked. We've seen mobs topple statues. And then initially, the 1619 Project tried to falsely assert that July 4th was not the nation's birthday. And I can tell you, I've looked at databases in, um, of historical newspapers. And the phrase United States of America was not used in a newspaper until the Declaration of Independence on July 4, 1776. And then after that, you see hundreds of references. So the name United States of America was not in existence until July 4th, which is a great sort of forensic evidence that that is our nation's birthday. And then we've also seen schools and organizations change their names. I want to give you an example of this. Last summer, a California school canceled their mascot, the Minuteman, because they didn't think it appealed to minority students. And I found myself sort of screaming at the TV because I knew that Black men served as Minutemen. One of them was named Peter Salem. He was a freed slave. He and the man who freed him both fought side by side at the Battle of Concord in 1775. He also went on to be a hero at the Battle of Bunker Hill. And then he spent several years in the Continental Army. And so that's really our heritage is that we have both Black and white uh, people, men serving in um, the Continental Army and fighting for freedom. 
And that's a beautiful, you know, legacy that we have. And, you know, John Adams, I think, described a lot of what we've seen lately this way. He said, the preservation of liberty depends upon the intellectual and the moral character of the people. And he went on to say, as long as knowledge and virtue are diffused generally among the body of a nation, it's impossible that they should be enslaved. So in other words, if widespread knowledge and truth and virtue is, is disseminated across the people, then they won't come under tyranny. And he said this can only be brought to pass by debasing their understandings or by corrupting their hearts. And so what, what, what I think we've seen is when people don't know about their history or they don't, don't know how to refute some of the attacks on patriotic symbols, it's a, it debases the understanding of our nation. And as Moms for America, you know, we want to see um, that improve. Last year, the Department of Education, U.S. Department of Education, released a really concerning statistic. They said that only 13% of eighth graders are proficient in American history. So this is an example of how students' understanding is debased because they're not learning uh, about the American Revolution, about the Civil War, um, about really critical moments in our nation's history. They just don't have the knowledge. And that's why we need a patriotic curriculum and um, ways to incorporate love of country. And all of this sort of leads me to this question. Will the spirit of 1776 be alive in 2026 when we celebrate our nation's birthday or will patriotism be on life support? And so when I think it comes to teach, creating patriotic curricula, I think there's just two things to really focus on. We need to teach the original meanings of our patriotic symbols. And we need to teach stories from the American Revolution, stories about courage and our founding principles, such as freedom of speech. And I wrote a little book here. It's called First Fireworks for Independence. It came out last year, and it's about the tradition of fireworks. It's for children, you know, eight to 10. And it just shows you how we got this idea of launching fireworks to celebrate our independence. And those are the kinds of things we can incorporate, you know, whether we're homeschooling or whether we're trying to supplement, you know, our children's schools with, with um, love of country materials. And so to start, to help us reconnect with the flag, I thought it might be helpful if we looked at what the flag originally meant. And so in, um, on June 14, 1777, the Continental Congress adopted a resolution that formally adopted the first flag of the United States. And they said that the flag would be 13 stripes alternating red and white, and that there would be a union of 13 stars, white on a blue field representing a new constellation. That new constellation was about union. There were 13 states and they were uniting together to fight for freedom. And so that's what our, that's what our flag means today. The only difference is that we have 50 states represented by stars instead of 13. So that meaning is the same and that we needed that union in order to, meet, to have that freedom. Um, another aspect of our flag that's really simple, but I don't remember being taught this at all when I was a kid, um, in 1782, this was near the end of the war. It was after the last major battle of the war. Congress gave us the great seal of the United States. And they specifically said, 
referring to the colors of the flag, that they assigned virtues to those colors. So red means valor and hardiness. White means purity and innocence. And certainly it's our responsibility as parents to protect the innocence of our children. And that's, I think, what they meant there. Blue means vigilance, perseverance, and justice. And so those are things, if you've got a story about courage and valor, and maybe it's not even directly related to American history, but that's a value that we share as Americans. And that's part of the meaning of our flag is those red stripes refer to valor and hardiness. And hardiness, of course, is like a, a term we use for plants that can survive all seasons or they can survive drought or cold. And so that's, that's what hardiness means. And so those virtues are ones you can incorporate. Now I went on Amazon and looked at, if you've got children who are learning how to read, there are books, learn to read books that are in libraries that are on Amazon that do cover um, George Washington, Ben Franklin, Alexander Hamilton, the Statue of Liberty. So there are some things that already exist that can help, you know, as you're teaching your children how to read, they can learn about early American heroes at the same time. And I think I may develop an, my own line, my own brand of learn to read books and focus it all on American Americana material. And then um, I have a devotional book called Stories of Faith and Courage from the Revolutionary War. There are 365 devotionals and they are based on the writings of the founders, but there's a scripture and a prayer um, for each one. And they work vertically, meaning you can read one a day and you get a complete thought. But I tried to end each one of them to make you want to read the next. But if you do um, a devotional time with your family, this could be something that you do. It's a way to teach those stories using their original words to, um, to help just connect with where we came from and why they made the decisions they made to fight tyranny and what that was like for them. So this is a resource that you can, um, you can look into if that fits your family. And then my 10 year old son is using this curriculum. It's from IEW, the Institute for Excellence in Writing. And this is where I think we can really do a much better job in incorporate, incorporating patriotism. We need to combine subjects. So when we're teaching a student how to write, our child how to write, if they use stories from our nation's history as model paragraphs and model essays, that helps them learn two things at once. It helps them to learn how to write and also they're learning about things in American history. And there's something about the connection when you're writing something, you're learning it, I think, more deeply than, um, than just the reciting of it. When you're having to express it through writing, it, it sticks with you longer. So this is um, a good resource for families that want to combine subjects. And then I also was looking at uh, American literature courses in middle and high school. As you can see on the screen, these are kind of common books that I found in curriculum across the country. Now, oftentimes what I've noticed is that there's not usually a book about the American Revolution that's taught in literature classes. It's usually the Scarlet Letter, which is pre-revolution era or the Crucible. 
but there's, you know, they'll, they'll look at the De Declaration of Independence and some of our founding documents, which they should look at. But I really think we need to use the power, the emotional power of stories to help our children learn American history. And so you, there's the emotional connection you have with the story is far stronger than than the, you know, learning dates and facts. And I think they, they have a stronger impact. And so I've written um, a couple of new books that are for the middle high school and, you know, into adults um, range of content. And I have, um, I've also written curricula to go with both books. I and mean, you can get them as a digital download on my store, janecook.com forward slash shop uh, with the promo code 1776 gets you a discount. And um, I don't have them in print form. I have them in digital download. But I want to spend some time on the one on the right, the submarine and the spies. And I want to tell you a little bit about the story and then how um, you can use it to combine subjects again. And then if you also have a book that you love that you want your child to read, and you can also develop your own comprehension questions to help use it in school. So this is a paperback about the Revolutionary War. I consider it fictionalized history because it is a true story. Every character in the book that has a name was a real person, but the conversations are invented. Um, and so this is one that, again, is for ages 12 and up. Um, and you can use it, though, to teach literature and the American Revolution. So history and English at the same time. The story is about three friends from mm -hmm. Yale College, which is what it was called back then. Nathan Hale, Benjamin Talmadge, and David Bushnell. They have to leave their world of classical education to fight in the American Revolution. They're fighting for their homes. And they go on, each of them goes on a hero's journey, and it transforms them from students into soldiers or students into spies. And that's the, the gist of the, the arc of transformation in the book. Um, but in the curricula, it includes literature and history lessons, comprehension questions, quizzes, and a test, and then answers to everything. Because I think it's far easier as a parent if you have the answers to the questions than you trying to find that yourself. So it's easier to, to see, you know, especially coming from the author, that um, you know that that's the correct answer to those questions. Uh, so this, this is an example of some of the comprehension questions that are part of the curricula and just going through the story and seeing if the, the, if the student's picking up on the weaknesses and strengths of the characters and where the story takes place, just that kind of thing. And then I go into the hero's journey. The hero's journey is an important part of literature. And so uh, I went through the 12 steps of the hero's journey and I show you how each character goes through each of the steps. Now, one character does not survive in the, in the book, but he gets about halfway through. And that's the catalyst for the, in the impact that has on the other, the other friends um, in the group. But these 12 steps from the hero's journey helps you to understand, and there's a video that explains, there's a video on the curriculum that explains what the hero's journey is in like three minutes. And it's, it's really good because that it comes from, you know, uh, our, our Western, you know, uh, tradition is the hero's journey. I also have a le literature lesson to be kind of fun to look at and compare and contrast modern day submarines that are nuclear powered 
Uh, the Navy's hiring 100,000 people to build the next fleet. So I'll have mm -hmm. a link to the Navy. And then also compare that to the submarine in, from 1776. It could fit one person. But you can see how far we've come um, as America in our technology. So a compare and contrast. And that could be something as making a list. It could be something as simple as that, or it could be something as writing a whole you know, five-page essay, depending on the, the needs of your kid and your child and where they are in their development. Um, I also, going back to the virtues of the flag's colors, I have a lesson on vigilance. Vigilance is a major theme in the submarine and the spies. And as I've studied the American Revolution, I can see how vigilance was really important to them. For example, I included in the curricula a letter from George Washington to a colonel. The colonel had asked for advice on how to manage his troops. And one of the things that George Washington communicated to him was the importance of being vigilant. Even if they were in friendly territory, he said, get, get your men in a habit of always posting guards in front and back and on the sides. And then when you're in camp, same thing. Get, make this a habit. So that is vigilance. It's watchfulness. And I think what Moms for America is doing is we are being vigilant over our country in 2024. Um, and our families, and we're watching over them, and we're, we're finding things that can help nourish and strengthen our families and our country. And that's that's what vigilance means. I have a history lesson of the about the Declaration of Independence. And uh, go through that a little bit and what that meant to the characters in the book and how they found out about it. That's a really interesting thing to learn, to realize they didn't all learn about this on July 4th. It took several days before everyone in the country found out about the Declaration of Independence because communication was so slow. So I talk about that and then I go into, and this kind of goes back to mm -hmm. trying to help people understand our major civil rights movements. Th these activists, almost all of them pointed back to the Declaration of Independence, whether it was voting rights for women with Susan B. Anthony, Martin Luther King, today's Martin Luther King Day. He referred back to the Declaration and that, especially the phrase about, you know, being the being created um, and God, the creator, and that we have these unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And one of the things I realized in studying this period is that almost immediately after the declaration in Massachusetts, slaves began petitioning for their freedom, and they would use that language in their petitions. Prince Hall formally requested and um, petitioned for his freedom in January of 1777, and he referred to those unalienable rights from the parents of the universe, and he was claiming them for himself. And in Massachusetts in 1783, which was the end of the war, a judge declared that slavery was unconstitutional according to the Massachusetts Constitution. And the end of the revolution was the beginning of the abolitionist movement. And I think that's really an exciting thing to be proud of, that it, it ignited those principles were so valuable that Americans wanted to see them um, mature in, in er areas throughout our society. And you can see that in the individuals here for sure. Oops, how do I go back? Okay, there we go. 
Um, I also have history lessons that focus on the major events of the revolution that are mentioned in the book. And this gives your student a chance to kind of put the chronology in order in their mind. Um, like on, you know, important events like the Boston Tea Party, for example. And then I have a little lesson about genealogy. You can look up on genie.com the uh, family histories of the main characters in the book. And when you do that, you see, wow, they were fourth generation Americans by the time of the American Revolution. And that no wonder their allegiance was to Connecticut, their family's home and not the king. You can see how that, that pattern was, was really prevalent among the people of the revolutionary era. And then on the history quizzes and literature quizzes, they're on the same page where the literature questions are on the left and the history questions are on the right. So you can do both sides. You can do one side and not the other. You've got a lot of flexibility in the curricula. So that um, I did that to kind of help parse out the questions that were more about the hero's journey versus the major events in the revolution. But that again is a way to combine subjects. And then I have another book called War of Lies that also came out last year when George Washington was the target and propaganda was the crime. This book is considered nonfiction, history, mystery, um, literary nonfiction. But what happened, and this is a very unknown story. Not, not, I've not seen really anybody delve into this very much before. But someone wrote letters in George Washington's name and published them in newspapers in, in a pamphlet. And he found out about them when he was at Valley Forge in 1778. And it was a campaign to target him and to demean his character with the public. And so I wanted to know, well, who was behind it? He never knew. And I looked at several suspects and found a pattern that really points to one person in particular. So that's what the book is about. But you learn about the Revolutionary War um, through these characters, through these suspects, and you see what it, where they were on the, the spectrum of patriot to um, loyalist. Again, comprehension questions, literature and history lessons, quizzes and a test, and then answers to all of those things. And um, one of the things that a technique in storytelling is using questions. And I used questions in the book to, to drive the narrative. And I found this great video about Socrates. He is the one who gave us the art of asking questions. And there's this cute little video that explains who he was and why he was important. And asking questions is very important to the Western tradition, to have that freedom, especially in America, to be able to question you know, things in society and our government, to try to make things better. We really need that freedom to ask questions. And that, that comes from um, Socrates, that tradition and the central question of war of lies is who wrote those counterfeit letters and these are the four suspects in the his, in the literature lessons you, you there's a place to compare the suspects you can compare their skills their proximity to washington how they might have pulled this this off and one of them emerges as a stronger pattern and i'm not going to give that away but let you let people discover it on their own then in the book, I also mentioned Phyllis Wheatley. And what I love about Phyllis Wheatley is that she changed from a loyalist to a patriot. And you can see that in a poem she wrote to George Washington 
Um, and then an earlier poem that she wrote to King George III. And so this lesson gives the student a chance to compare those two poems and to see how they're different and how they're the same. Um, and, and Washington exchanged letters with Phyllis Wheatley um, in 1776, early in the year. Um, and so that's a, it's an, also a, an important fact about history. And then in the book, I do include just a few paragraphs about spread throughout the book about the contributions of Black Americans um, to help people understand how widespread the fighting was um, in, our, in that culture. Then in the history lesson about the Declaration of Independence, I'll show you how a newspaper covered the Declaration of Independence and how they didn't ask, you know, today we'll have an expert, you know, come on board when there's a news, news story and they'll interview an expert. They didn't do that back then. It was just publishing the declaration. Um, and you get to see that in how, how it's portrayed in, the, in newspapers. And then in another history lesson, there's a, um, and this is something you could do too, mm -hmm. is looking for um, examples on YouTube. This is uh, taken from the TV show Turn, which is really for adults. It's not for children at all. <laughs> but this particular uh, clip shows George Washington uh, confronting James Rivington, who was a loyalist newspaper publisher, but they both share the belief in freedom of speech and freedom of the press. And it gives you a chance to see um, their views on that. And this, I think it's a four minute clip. And James Rivington is one of the suspects in War of Lies. So I, saw, I also have a history lesson about comparing Ben Franklin's views on freedom of speech to um, James Rivington's views on freedom of speech and freedom of the press. I really think you could call Ben Franklin the father of, the, of freedom of speech because he gave us the standards that we followed for 300 years um, until recently where there's been some, you know, um, there's been some changes with the cancel culture. We've seen um, kind of a backwards turn on that. So these books are on, the books are on Amazon and then the books in the digital download are on um, janecook.com and their promo code is 1776 and that applies to anything um, in that shop but I am just trying to as a mom I'm trying to get more books into the marketplace I finished a book over the weekend about the colors of the flag for younger children I my brain is just overflowing and I want to I really want to get more um, books to schools and to homeschool families to help share you know the the patriotism and the um and the amazing stories before um, we turn 250 years old. And so again, when you're wanting to create a patriotic curricula for yourself and your family, I think just as simple, just as teaching what the flag means, teaching what the colors means, um, colors mean, and then using those virtues as, as a guide for um, when you are talking to your child about, um, about, patriotism and about the importance of loving your country and then discovering these stories from the revolution and our founding principles. So that's kind of where I think we as a society need to focus is on those two things. Um, there are some really great resources. You're probably aware of many of these. This is um, PragerU. They, um, I recorded and I narrated a video for them about John Quincy Adams to go along with my book, American Phoenix. And it was really great. They have gone and made a video 
of the biography, five minutes of each president in their bio, bio. And so they have those videos as well as a number of other resources. And it's just, they're great storytellers. They do it in short pieces. So if you're looking for patriotic content, PragerU has a lot that you can use. Um, and it's for a variety of ages, younger children, you know, older children, even into the teens. And then I want you to just keep your eye on something called americastudios.com. They want to create a community for making films about our nation's history. I think ideally they want to have two dozen films up on the website that you can watch. And they're just getting started. But I think this is a very powerful way to pass along patriotism is through film. And we really haven't had a child-friendly uh, film about the revolution in a really long time. And I, I think we, that, that's a missing component in society that this group can, can hopefully fill. And then, in, I know it's 2024, but next year, just keep an eye out for a new movie called The American Miracle. Um, I, um, had the, I really loved being able to participate in this movie. The whole point of this movie is to show the hand of providence in the founding of our nation. Providence means God's presence. And there are multiple stories where, you know, a fog just appears out of nowhere and covers the movements of the Continental Army and protects them from being completely captured by the British. And there's no way to explain that. It just, it's, um, there's just several stories like that. And so this is coming out, it's going to come to theaters. So it'll be something you can see in the theater and then it, it'll be something you can see at home as well. Um, and then again, my books are on Amazon and janecook.com. Um, and then I have a Substack. And about once a month, I publish an article on my Substack about American history, usually. Back in the fall, um, I had just, there was a burden on my heart to talk about the story that I found about Jewish immigrants who came to America in the 1700s. And I got that, that posted on my website. And then a week later, the attacks in Israel happened. And I was like, wow, I just felt like that, that I was just moved to write about how Jewish families fled, fled persecution in Europe through the Inquisition. And they came to America and they found refuge in Rhode Island and in Philadelphia. And they built synagogues. And just it just made me realize, you know, our country has been about freedom um, for a very long time and that we welcomed uh, people from all you know, walks of life. Uh, came to America and wanted that freedom too. And that's what really makes our country so special. And it's something that, that we need to keep in mind and remember and teach and pass along to our children. Jane, thank you. I just appreciate so much what you're doing. And how did you get so much done? I mean, you're not 900 years old. <laughs> you have just done so much. Thank you again for being so willing to share your time, to work so hard, to present such a, a enjoyable and a meaningful presentation. So thank you very much. Thank you, moms. Thank you.